welcome to the Possibility Podcast with me, your host, Sarah Knight. In this podcast, I explore what it means to be alive on the earth today amidst our climate crisis. And for me, that means getting very curious about all of this possibility that we carry around inside us. What if we could harness this and put it towards finding balance again and creating a better, more sustainable future? Hello and welcome to another session of the Possibility Podcast. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Ayanna Young. I don't really know where to begin introducing this woman. She is unbelievably educated. Uh, She is so diverse in her experience in and commitment to supporting land restoration, conservation, projects, and awareness. She is a filmmaker. She's a podcast host. She's a conservationist. And along with um, a team, of other female millennials. She runs a nonprofit organization called For the Wild that is, does like it says on the tin, is really, really about supporting the um, environment, supporting our natural environment and our relationship to it through education and awareness projects like her podcast show, which I saw when I was preparing for this interview. She now has something like 162 episodes available. An ecology project called the One Million Redwoods Project, and so much else seems to be encompassed uh, within that For the Wild organization. And so I'm really excited about where we might go today. I think that she's certainly a woman after my own heart. Thank you so much for joining me, Ayanna. Thank you for having me and for that intro. I feel uh, I'm blushing and I'm honored to have your words so um, just tenderly (laughs) spoken. So thank you. Yeah, well, it was with great... uh, heartwarming hope, I think, um, when I learned about you and saw the scope of what you're doing and also understood the team of people that you're involved with and all the people that you've connected with was kind of like, wow, like this is this is a big thing, what we are doing now. This is no longer, you know, isolated pillars of people trying to make a difference in the world. This is a vast network of 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 caring and reconnection that's emerging. And I feel like you're really an, an important node in there somewhere. So, um, yeah, so I'm really grateful for this time. But anyway, I will stop making you blush any more than you already are. <laughs> And we'll get started. And look, I mean, where I guess is the obvious place to start today, uh, it's St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, and we are um, here in North America, uh, knee deep, waist deep, I'm not sure, uh, in this COVID-19 crisis. And certainly it sent me a bit reeling the last week and really the last few days, and I'm just kind of finding ground again. Um, but I let's start there. How are you? What are you experiencing? And um, I guess what are you what are you feeling about this moment that seems like yes, it's a crisis, but maybe there's also some opportunity there. My oh my, it is such a strange time right now, and it's not something that I didn't see coming because I did. I feel like I've in many ways, um, been really psychologically preparing for this time to come, the great unraveling. And maybe this isn't the apocalypse. Maybe it is a apocalypse of many that we'll experience in our lifetimes that our ancestors have experienced in their lifetimes and those before. And I feel like as humanity, we have gotten through a lot of disasters or crises or war famines, um, so on and so forth. So it, yeah, it's something that isn't intellectually surprising to me, but I am still feeling the anxiety and and, um, moments of just grief of what's happening for those humans that 
will struggle more than other humans. There will be people that are more impacted by this than others. Um, those who are losing their jobs, um, those who are living so close to the poverty line or, or living in poverty and paycheck to paycheck. That, that to me is um, really what gives me the most anxiety. I'd say that there's so many pieces to this COVID um, virus, this moment. There's the spiritual aspect to me, which I think we are in a spiritual crisis. And this is a type of reckoning for us as humans right now, really coming in so strongly, making us focus so intensely on this one issue. Um, but I think that there's so many more deeper implications than the virus itself. The virus to me is like a, a symptom of something much bigger that we're up against. Um, I also see the ecological side of the beauty of clean air and the beauty knowing that so many wild animals are probably not being trafficked right now because people are afraid of what they could spread to them. And and really being in celebration and reverence for the natural world, knowing that the earth has probably not been able to breathe as deeply for decades as they are right now. And how miraculous is that? Because climate change, statistics, numbers, articles, has never been able to halt our lifestyle in the way it is now, especially for those of us who are privileged, for those of us um, in the developed world who have way more access to resources than anybody else in the world. Like I see people who are privileged that are not moving, that are not using the fossil fuels that they are accustomed to using and really releasing a lot of those creature comfort luxury items. Um, and wow, how miraculous is that, that we actually can stop. We actually can stop getting on planes. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible to clean the air. It's possible to stop with our highly consumptive lives. Um, and that, that is so amazing. Cause like I said, nothing, you know, we could get science that literally says you're going to die of climate change in a decade and we won't do anything about it. But somehow Corona comes around and we actually are heeding this warning, which I think is completely miraculous. Um, so in terms of the opportunity, I think, well, can we look at this time knowing that at some point, I don't, I don't think Corona is going to be with us with this type of intensity for the rest of, some of our lives who's ever listening. I don't think it's going to be with us forever in that, in this intense way, but how can we take the intensity that we're feeling in this moment and really hold on to it in terms of a psychological preparedness for what is to come with climate change? We know things are going to get harder for us as humans, as climate continues to change, uh, as water continues to be more scarce. There's so many things that are coming us. This is like a practice round in so many ways. And why I keep saying psychological preparedness, emotional preparedness, spiritual preparedness, community preparedness um, is really, I think the physical preparedness is important, but it's not the main, it's not the main importance to me because we're all going to die. We're mortal humans. It's like, we're not going to escape death, whether it's from this or whether it's from something else entirely. Um, to me, it's not about the dying. It's about how we're going to live through these moments, how we're going to be with each other, how we're going to be grateful, how can we be loving, how can we be resilient. Um, and that's why this spiritual psychological preparedness, I think, is so important and is really this call right now of how do we hunker down? How do we use less resources? How can we find pleasure and joy? in small, slow movements? Um, and how can we use this time as a practice round? Yeah, I, I, there's just, there's so much happening. Um, and I've been just watching the news and social media and I feel the frantic quality of what is happening for some people, that rush race, urgent mentality. And I do think that 
we don't make good decisions when we're frantic. I think we have fight or flight for a reason, you know? If we're being chased by a bear, like we should think about the fight or flight, you know? But for the, for a lot of the times, like that energy is un- unhealthy for our immune systems, which isn't gonna help in this situation. So how can we um, ground ourselves, like really, really ground and not feel this type of like, oh, just, urgent panic. And I think back to an interview with Bio Akomalafe that I did back in late January calling called slowing down in urgent times, which is really surprising that I just did an interview on this. Um, and he had said something like, part of the, what if part of the crisis is the way we respond to the crisis? And so um, I just want to like really call that into to the way we're reacting to this Thank you. That was all so beautifully put. And I love actually the way that you started off highlighting um, something that's so important that it is in my position of the privilege of safety. And yes, I'm self-employed, but my partner works for the government and, you know, we're going to be okay through this. We're going to have enough food. We've got access to resources and to support. And so it is from my position of privilege that I can ask the question about the opportunity in this. And I really appreciate that you started off there, um, highlighting the fact that there are uh, a lot of people for whom um, not being able to leave the house um, is actually a really big problem, whether that's for financial reasons, whether it's for whether it's for security reasons. You know, maybe the home isn't really a safe place. Um, and so I really appreciate you highlighting that. And I just want to acknowledge that 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 question comes from a very privileged position of being able to to ask it. But I think that is the responsibility of having privilege and I think those of us that you know are the ones that you know drive around all over the place and fly all over the place and buy what we want and consume what we want and do what we want have a responsibility to use our privilege in a different way and I really like that you said that yes we actually what we're learning here is oh maybe it is possible to not drive all over the place and to not use all that stuff. And maybe it is possible to slow down and to live in a different way. And I hope that 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 there is an opportunity in that, that those of us that are in a position to do something different, because not everyone is, but those of us that are actually maybe can now kind of hit the reset button and go, okay, the I thought I was locked into the system and I had to just keep going and going and going and doing and doing and doing. But somebody has told me to stop. And so I have to stop. And so when I resume again, can I do it differently? And that you have named that as really this, um, you know, this intensity that we're feeling right now, the opportunity for that spiritual and psychological um strengthening, I guess, or realigning maybe feels like a, feels like a better word for it. Um, can you just talk a little bit more, just a little, because you said that you see it, I don't think you said you see it as a spiritual crisis. I think you said you see it as a spiritual opportunity. Can you just talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I, well, I see it both as a spiritual crisis and a spiritual opportunity. Um, the spiritual crisis part, I think about this term called we to go, which is an Algonquin term speaking to this cannibalistic mind virus that is colonialism, that is consumer culture. And it's a term that Ariel Deranger has spoken about in conversations I've had with her on the For the Wild podcast. And so I do think that this um, spiritual crisis of being you know, not being in right relationship with the earth, not being in right relationship with each other as humans, not being in right relationship with our more than human relatives, um, having this type of addiction to consumerism, addiction to ambition, to greed, to more, 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 to the that that entitlement of especially for those of us privileged in the developed world. Um, countries like 
that entitlement to think that we should be able to have what we want and we should and it's totally normal to have things delivered to our door within 24 hours and it's totally like it's we it's our right it's our <laughs> we're like for those of us who are americans i think we've been a lot of us have been raised with this thing of like but we're americans and even though maybe we don't say that we've been so sheltered from so many other issues that so many other people in the world have to face that we've become entitled to thinking that it's uh it's it's normal it's our right to just be able to have what we want when we want it or to be able to do the things we feel like we should be able to do without having any cap on that or any um thinking about the caring capacity of the earth the resources that we use thinking about just all the externalities of our lifestyle and where does that toxic stuff go that creates that little thing that we want to buy that day or where does the garbage go or any of these things or where does it have to be mined from in order to get to our doorstep you know that's the spiritual crisis that i think we're going through that this time is really mirroring to us is like did any of this actually make us happy did destroying and raping the earth for things that we give away or throw away within a few months or a couple of years or even keep our whole lifetimes are is any of that worth it was that trip to wherever worth what we're losing and these are these really deep questions that are coming up always but this time it's like now that some of us have to be at home we have a lot of time to think we have a lot of time to look at what we've accumulated and really ask ourselves what is worthy of destroying the earth for and i think many of us if we ask that question we'll realize none of this is worthy of that and that's where the spiritual opportunity comes in because we actually do have a chance to change things it's like we've gotten a jump start it's almost like you know uh we've we've been able to take a 3 day cleanse or something or whatever before we do the big you know i don't know for for those of us that that try to you know get healthy or like it's a new year's resolution or something we've gotten a jump start if we do want to change now if we decide that we want to go back to this we to go entitlement um lifestyle we probably will get that opportunity after some time maybe it'll be a while cuz maybe our economy will crash and we'll have to deal with the rubble of that but potentially maybe maybe not we may be able to choose to go back to a very highly consumptive lifestyle maybe we won't there's a lot of excitement for me in this idea that there actually might be boundaries for consumption wow what a what a concept for those of us in the united states like no actually we can't consume as much as we have been um there are limits to growth there are limits to the resources on this earth and that is an incredible opportunity like whoa we have to get really real we have to really get deep within ourselves we have to get really deep within our communities with our loved ones we get to actually potentially find fulfillment outside of consumer capitalism which we'll never find fulfillment in we can um be of service to the earth we can actually be in right relationship again like thinking all of those things i'm like oh my gosh like i have prayed for so long to to have a collective opportunity to make the right choices that are in right relationship with this earth and what could be more beautiful than that because like i said we're all going to die and when i die i want to know that i was in service i want to know that i did everything i can to be in my devotion with earth and with the other creatures that are so loved but are so often ignored and so um you know it's it's going to be challenging but i think there's so much excitement and beauty of what we can do to, to like i think you use the word tough but like toughen ourselves up like for those of us who do of course like i'm not speaking to everybody there's definitely not a one size fits all comment um to you know everybody's having different experiences at this moment but for those of us who are listening to this interview and maybe i'm speaking to certain people who are listening um how can we strengthen those spiritual muscles and and really um 
tough enough because like when I see people freaking out because they have to stay at home, I'm like, wow, our ancestors have gone through so much. <laughs> like even our, even our, maybe our grandmas or great grandmas, like they went through the great depression. They went through the flu. They went through world war one, world war two. They went through, you know, like all this stuff. And for a lot of us, we haven't had to go through such hardships because stores have had food. You know, we have been able to get what we need at the auto place, whatever it is. But there were times where that wasn't the case. And there are times still now that it's not the case for everybody. Mm. So again, it's like, wow, there's so much to process. And how do we come out of this strengthened, fierce, even more loving, even more devoted and being like, wow, we can do this. We actually don't need all this crap. (laughs) We don't even need it. And look, we can, we can not do these things. Cause I think before this moment, I think so many of us didn't even see how it would even be possible to ground airplanes. We didn't even think it would be possible to stop cruise ships. It was like not even in our consciousness that that could even be a possibility. And now we're seeing it is and like, holy moly, what a gift. If we can really take this and take care of those who will be losing their incomes from service industries and things like travel, like how can we support those people in community and also realize this could be better for all of us if we're able to really work through this and take care of each other and stay focused on the earth as our priority. Yes. Ah, so wonderfully put. You know, as you were talking, I was um, reminded of a dream I had maybe three years ago. And in my dream, I was standing on the front porch of what in the dream was my home. And it was summertime and there was a busy uh, street scene in front of me. People coming and going, somebody bringing in their shopping bag, somebody else cutting their grass and just people everywhere. And some out of the, I don't know where this announcement came through, but at the same time, we all heard the announcement and the announcement was everybody had to stop. It was an emergency and everybody had to stop what they were doing right there. And in my dream, everybody stopped. And I remember watching the person across the road from me in my dream put down, um, he was just holding a rake. I think he was raking leaves. He put his rake down and people got out of their cars and breathed this big sigh of relief. And the feeling was, oh, finally, somebody's just telling us what to do here. And it's so that I woke up so, um, at the time I was very burdened by what it felt like we were stuck in and this awareness that we, we all needed guidance and actually all really wanted it. And nobody had any idea how to stop. We were like running, it was like running down a hill. We had no idea how to stop. And the minute somebody told us that was just what we had to do, this huge relief that walked, that washed through. And I woke up with this renewed sense of kind of hope and of, okay, like we could actually do it. And actually the truth is everybody would be relieved. And I think you touched on it there. The question right now that we can all be asking ourselves is, has any of this really made me happy? You know, and what has the cost been? And what am I willing to sacrifice for either the in the environment around me and how I continue to live and what I take or for what my my children and my grandchildren and me in my lifetime what I may or may not have access to because of my actions right now and that question is perfect am I happy like am I actually happy in what I've been doing um so you know, you you touched on so many things there. And what I wanted to ask you next really um, struck me as I watched the trailer for your for your movie, When Old Growth Ends. So when I watched the trailer, in the trailer, you, you asked the question, um, were we born too late? And, you know, what I took from that was two things. Were we born too late to be able to enjoy the majesty of this planet in its the the, the intricate tapestry of creation, I think was one aspect to the question. And the other aspect was, were we the people who actually seem to really give a shit and have the drive and the energy to do something about it, the change makers, were we born too late? And so, you know, this question too late is a big peak because like too late for what? 
But from where you sit now, what is your perspective on that, on the, you know, the the change maybe that we're seeing because of this virus, the change that we know that we may, need to make, the the time that science is telling us we need to make the change in? Is it, is it too late, Ayanna? Mm. I'm really love being in conversation with you. I just want to tell you that. Um, I really, yeah, just respect the way you word things. And that line from When Old Growth Ends, um, were we born too late to undo the undoing? And that was written by my partner, March. And it was, and it is such a deep question that we both um, think about so much and gosh how do I even answer this it is really asking this existential question of yeah is it too late and when I speak to that you know um, were we born too late to undo the undoing what I what comes to me what I visualize is the 98% of all old growth that we have slaughtered in the last couple hundred years, you know, how quickly we have destroyed thousand year old pristine ecosystems, how we have murdered 98 or is it 96% of all large fish in the oceans. I think about the glaciers that are melting so rapidly. It was 65 degrees in Antarctica last month. Um, and now we are destroying the Andes with lithium mining for batteries for the Green New Deal, <laughs> quote unquote. So, um, were we born too late to undo this undoing? I mean, we are not undoing it. We're, we're, the undoing is happening, but we're not actually halting the destruction that is unraveling all of these ecosystems that allow us to survive, let alone all of the biodiversity and our more than human kin that require these lands to function in order for them to survive for their habitat for their food let alone the spirits that live in these lands the ancient stories and cultures that will disappear and are disappearing because they no longer have homes to live within so perhaps i was born too late to stop the sixth mass extinction and climate chaos. Um, and maybe those of us living right now have to grieve that. And not in a sense that we're going to give up and just throw our hands in the air and say, well, then fine, let's just let them build more pipelines. Let's just let them cut the last trees. There's hardly any left. Let's just let them do these crazy resource extraction projects because we're, it's too late. I don't, I don't want to speak to it like that. It's not as if it's too late. Therefore we need to just let go of any opportunity to stand and fight for what's left. No, I think it's a moral obligation to stand and to fight for what is left. That's all we have left. That's the only way to make amends with what has happened, either whether it was under our watch, whether it was by our own hands. Um, that is our reciprocity at this time. So whether or not it's too late to repair the severe damage that we have already done as humanity, especially since industrialization has started, um, you know, it, there, it might be too late to turn climate change around. I think it probably is. 
Um, I think we've passed the tipping points we've known for decades. And even in the past decade, even in the past five years, even in the past two years, even in the past year, when we have seen the numbers skyrocket, when we have seen the temperatures rise, when we have seen the droughts, we have still collectively done pretty much nothing. So yeah, it's, it's a huge, uh, it's, a, it's an overwhelming truth to sit with. And perhaps there are things that are too late, but what isn't too late is, like I said, reciprocity. What we're not too late for is to actually heal the damage we have done in a spiritual way, in a relational way. The future is relational. That's what we have left. That's what we are not born too late for, is to heal our relationship with the earth and with each other and with the more than human beings to be fierce, to be strong, to say, I am grieving. I this is so painful. It is so overwhelming. I can't even hear this, but I will. I'm not going to look away from the hard truths. I'm not going to abandon the lands as they're being pillaged for their last remaining jewels. I'm going to be there. I may not know what to do, but I'm certainly not going to ignore what's happening in these last years of grabbing um, and taking, and I, for me, like, that's what I hold on to, not as a silver lining, but as a way, like, it, it, as a way to even, uh, reach for a type of peace. I think peace can come if we know, not that we're going to survive, but that we know we did the right thing, that we know we were a part of justice, that we know we were a part of something that was moral and ethical and like actually loving and tender and compassionate like that those are the things i am striving for to get us through um and i think if we can garner the strength to put those things in motion we will be able to turn certain things around we can protect the last two percent of big fish and that would be a victory it would be a victory to protect the last two to three percent of old growth forest that is a victory it, it would be a victory to stop all logging in the amazon it would be a victory oh my goodness if we could save a few whales like and potentially they can maybe if the oceans stop getting completely poisoned every day because we stop doing our crazy shit <laughs> like maybe they could rebound there is possibility for that we don't know everything science is Scientists don't know everything. We can't predict the future perfectly. We can see trends. We can make hypotheses. But we still have a chance to protect what is left. And that, whether or not that ends up saving the species or not, it's the right thing to do. And it's a worthy, worthy cause to actually put our energy into. Yeah. The way you uh, spoke to that question um, provoked a lot of emotions in me, and rightfully so. Uh, what has been happening around the world and what we are now being asked to witness is immense. And the losses are immense. And when you put those numbers on it, 98% of old growth forest gone. Um, so much loss. What you are suggesting that we do and what, what the opportunity is now is really the only one available to us. How do we, how do we turn up now? That's what we have. We have now. So, you know, how do we, how do we turn up now? And the fact is, you know, you earlier you talked about this, you know, this toughness and, and developing, finding our strength and our ancestors did live through a lot. And we actually, I mean, epigenetically, we have all that stored as resources somewhere in our beings, what our parents and what our grandparents and our great grandparents and the strength and courage and resiliency that that they had to find. And I think we're a lot stronger than, than, than we think we are. And I think that's already what I'm noticing in the last couple of days. Last week, there was this frantic, at least in the area where I live, this, this frantic energy of like, 
oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And this is, everything's going to be lost and we're all going to get sick. And, you know, there's really a lot of fear. And a lot of the grocery stores were very strange. Everybody looking at each other like they were potential carriers of death. (laughs) And everybody seeing everybody else almost as an enemy. And now the last few days, something has really shifted. And people are, there's so many offerings out there to come together and sing online and dance online. And I'm going to be offering this and who needs help there and I can deliver groceries to the seniors and there's something very different coming in and I think we are stronger than we think we are and I think we do have more to offer than we ever realized because of how addicted we were to everything being provided for us and so this opportunity that you're talking about of of turning up like just showing up and what are we going to do now and if If all we can do sometimes is bear witness to what we've created, then maybe in a way that's going to have to be enough. It reminds me of in the the home where I used to live, there was a lot of windows and every now and then I'd be working at home and and a bird would crash into the window. And I would, of course, go and and see what had happened did it fly away and sometimes the bird would get up and jump around and flap away and most often it would lay there stunned and quite often I thought the bird had was gonna die and I thought well, what can I all I can do here is witness the passing of this beautiful life and just hold space for it I can't change what's happened and so my practice was to go outside and sit with the bird and every time the miraculously the bird sometimes within a few minutes sometimes it would take an hour would eventually kind of jump around and flap up and fly away now I don't know if I just like was lucky or if somehow in my witnessing something a different possibility had been created and I think that that's what you're talking about here is how you know the levels on which we the the ways in which we interact with all of the invisible realms we don't really know the effects that we have there and we're we're so far removed from understanding consciously how to interact with the invisible realms and what the possible impacts are there but we don't really know and yes science says one thing and even then science is discovering new things all the time and maybe something in the bearing witness to it could actually create new possibilities. So I love what you said. There's both tremendous, um, a feeling of tremendous uh, grief and despair in a way in what you said. And also at the same time, right alongside it, hope and possibility. It's such an unusual assortment of feelings to be feeling right now. Can you, um, Ayana, you know, you have in looking at what you've accomplished and the number of even what some of your films have uh, touched on um, and the range of people that you've interviewed in your podcasts. And you've looked at, you know, things from your biological aspects, reforestation, uh, the role of fungi in our environment and to deeply kind of spiritual aspects and cultural aspects if you had to hang your hat or place your bet or if there was somewhere you know for us to put a little bit more attention right now what are the areas in in your from what you've experienced as to where we could should be putting our attention and our focus right now Mm. yeah this is a good question and something that I think can really ground us I think there's so many places to put our attention to that it can kind of sometimes lead us to not putting our attention anywhere because we just are like, I don't know what to do with all this information. And I do think that we were not, we have not evolved to be able to even take in all the information we're taking in. So I I think it's something that um, is so hard to process and decipher in real time with normal life on top of it all and trying to figure out where do we, what do we do? How do we get involved? What is our place in this movement? And I think we all have unique places to fill. Um, And I think that we really have to be led by our passion because if we are not passionate and in love with the work that we're doing for the movement, we're not going to be able to to sustain ourselves doing it because it is hard work and it can be devastating and it's a long haul. Anything we fight for we're going to have to be fighting our whole lives and then we're going to have to be training the next generation to take it over when we're gone so that they can continue fighting and protecting. 
So it's not something that's going to go away or be solved in a year or our lifetimes or our children's children's lifetimes, most likely. So how do we prepare for the long haul? And that's why the passion and the love and the creative elements of what we're doing are so important to keep us nourished to continue. So if we can find these things that we're really passionate about, I think um, like if your passion is growing food, amazing. We need more organic, small scale food growers. If your passion is healing people, amazing. We need herbalists and nurses and doctors and naturopaths that are really looking at whole systems with their patients. If you love cooking, amazing. Like there are people on the front lines fighting to stop the pipelines who need to be fed. There are people who are going to be doing the more dangerous work who need to come back to a massage, who need legal counsel, who need fundraisers, who need PTAs need help. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. Like there are a million ways to hook in. Everybody is needed. So find what you're passionate about. Um, the second thing I'd say is like, if you're like, okay, I know what I'm passionate about, uh, but I don't exactly know where to look or how to be involved in community. I would say look for the grassroots local organizations in your area. Um, I do not think we put enough weight and value in local movements. And I think partially that's because our culture makes us believe that we have to be big and we have to be global and we have to be national or we have to be big, big, big. It's like, well, let's get out of that savior big mentality. Like we're not going to be saviors. Big is definitely not better globalization has not done good for any of us. So we can release the pressure of feeling like we have to be so large in our capacity or not in our capacity, but in our, 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 our productivity in this type of work. So um, I do think the localization movement has you know, like some people are like, oh yeah, localized, but maybe that's not that important. No, it's entirely important. We are going to have so much more impact where we live within our communities than we're going to have any other way because it's much easier to hold people accountable when you're face to face with them. It's much easier to make connection when they're people in your area. Like when I fight for something, if I try to fight for the Amazon, maybe I could donate money, maybe I could spread information, but I don't live in the Amazon rainforest. I don't really know the issues on the ground. I can support grassroots indigenous leadership. That is very important. If we are going to do things that aren't local, let's support the grassroots leaders on the ground somewhere else. Yes, people need funding. But um on a, on a more personal level, get involved in your community, create community resilience groups or join ones that already have been created. Cause I'm sure there have been, um, there's so much that can be done. Like maybe pesticides are sprayed in your local park, get it out of there. Maybe, um, there's water issues that you didn't even know that water was being chlorinated in some weird way or water was being stolen from some other place, like, and maybe rainwater catchment systems on a local scale is what needs to be implemented. Um, I mean, I, like, like I said, I mean, there's like no end to what to get involved with. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about localing, localizing your involvement, um, let's, let's make it exciting to go to city hall meetings. Let's make it exciting to actually know who is the local governing people that are making decisions that you don't even know about in your local community. Like who gets to make the decisions on land trust? Who gets to make the decisions on private contractors coming in to do weird resource extraction projects? Um, I know people think it's not that sexy to be a part of local government maybe, but honestly, what if what if we had people in all local governments really getting in there and cleaning out shop and making changes, we could create a, a rippling effect of changes. Like there are counties that have b banned GMOs and let's say one county bans GMOs and then the county next to it goes, well, I want to ban GMOs. Can you help me? Yeah, here's how we did it. And then boom, you have a whole state that's banned GMOs. So, you know, there's just so much opportunity there. Um, and so I'd say like, yes, we've been talking about some overwhelming stuff, 
but we can get really focused and we don't have to take it all on. And honestly, we can't take it all on. And if we thought we could, that's just a bunch of ego because like, there's just no way for one little human to be able to handle all of that stuff anyways. So we can get clear. We can find the beauty in being small um, and really giving from a place of uh, capacity um, and not burning ourselves out thinking that we're going to be able to, yeah, be a, a kind of like godlike figure, a savior figure that needs to be thrown out because that's not healthy for anybody. So, yeah, yeah I think we, we have so much possibility if we yeah. get really focused on what we can offer. What a beautiful response and that you, and that you framed it in like, we're in this for the long haul. And so make sure it's something that you feel really passionate about because it's going to require ongoing energy. This isn't like a weekend project, you know, like painting the spare room. This is, this is going to be, this is, this is the rest of our lives. And what you also said too about keeping it local. That's beautiful. Yes. Let's start there. We don't, it's not about saving the world. It's about making these local contributions wherever we are and staying really connected, staying really connected there and connected to the fact that really we are best placed to affect the world around us by remembering that the world around us starts off with us at the center and extends however many feet or meters or maybe a few kilometers from there. But thank you, Ayanna. That's so, um, such a really, really good message, especially for someone who uh, grew up with the dream that somehow they would save the world. So you definitely have spoken to me too there and a lot of letting go of a lot of ego stuff that I've had to do on my journey. So I really appreciate your message. Can you tell me more now about your own passion? Because certainly this One Million Redwoods project uh, seems to be a project of great love and passion. Can you tell me more about that project? And I guess where what else you're driven to do and the nature of your drive where it comes from um for you uh -huh. the nature of my drive is what drove me to the one million redwoods project so I'll, I'll try to string those things together um i fell madly in love with the temperate rainforest uh about a decade ago well maybe eight years ago now and that love and limerence and lust and just reverence, awe, you know, I could just go on with synonyms and adjectives of just this feeling of so much juicy love for the forest was really what drove the One Million Redwoods Project. And I can say my work in general is driven by this deep intense love that I am so gratefully consumed by and um, so there was a and I'll say like to my work um, my work with the one million redwoods project is the love of the temperate rainforest my work in general is the love of the earth in general because uh i try not to play favorites with ecosystems because they're also magnificent and special but i'll say that you know my in my polyamorous love of the of the earth that um the temperate rainforest is my main partner so <laughs> i yeah this this deep passion just you know when we can take moments to see this earth to really really witness this incredible planet we're on it's hard to not be in total awe and it's hard to not be like well what can i do for you you are just so magnificent and you give me life and you give everything i love life and you're beautiful even when you've been pillaged and raped and destroyed you still show your flowers you still you still create you still give like how amazing is that so um about eight years ago, when I started falling in love with the temperate rainforest, I was spending a lot of time as a, at that time, a commercial mushroom hunter. And I was just deeply exploring the forest of Cascadia. And I was so heartbroken when I would 
see clear cuts and plantation forests and unhealthy second, third, fourth growth forest. And I would search for old growth. I was an old growth um, chaser, like a storm chaser, but I would, you know, look and look and look and I would find, you know, 10 acres here or two acres here, or maybe a couple hundred acres. And that was amazing to find a few hundred acres of old growth. And that really informed the project because as I was spending time with these forests, I would continue to ask, what can I do? What can I do for you? Like, how can I, how can I, how, how can I do anything? Like you, so much of you has been destroyed. How can I be of service? And I learned about restoration ecology and I started studying restoration ecology at UVic. And it was great. It gave me some tools, like a, like a little doctor's or nurse kit. And I was like, okay, well, this is good. There's some actual tangible, physical things we can do for this earth. And that was very uh, energizing for me. And so I came home and I was at the confluence of these two waterways and I looked up at the alders and the maples and um, the redwoods and the light was shining through. And I just said, you know, what, what am I supposed to do here? How can I help you? And they had said, plant our children, protect us and make sure we survive into the future. And so for the past six years now, I've been in deep research and development questioning how to, um, how to do that. And so the One Million Roads Project was born out of this desire to be in reciprocity. And I have been learning so much about industrialized tree planting, which is something that I'm not interested in being a part of. I don't think it's 100% bad. I think because of climate change and how intense it is, I think that on some level there will be industrialized tree planting to sequester carbon. Now those industrialized plantings are not going to be the healthiest, most biodiverse forest. So they are lacking a lot um, in terms of a holistic approach, but I think that it's better than spraying aluminum in the air for climate change. So I think it's, it's planting trees, even if it's a monocropped uh, sprayed tree with insecticides and pesticides and all, and because that's what they do, they'll just you know spray the ground with poison so nothing else grows, and then they put these little poison trees in. Um, so it's not great, but again, like it is better, I think, than a lot of these high tech methods of sequestering carbon. But when I was learning about massive tree planting, I was like, oh no, oh no, I didn't realize that there was these industrialized methods for tree planting. I didn't realize that there's a whole restoration industrial complex. And like I said, I don't think it's all evil, but it's definitely not what I wanted to put my time and energy into. And so we have been working with um, different biomimetic plans and holistic plans and really learning from indigenous uh, tender earth tenders and traditional ecological knowledge and creating a native species nursery that's kind of like a Noah's Ark for temperate rainforest species. And so it's been amazing. Yeah, the last few years have been so much research and development. It's just been crazy learning all this stuff and and I'm such a curious person that, you know, even down to the pots, I'm like, oh, I can't use all these plastic pots that don't last for that long. And I, and all the imported soils, like we don't want to do that. I don't want to mine some perlite mine or lava rock somewhere else to try to grow temperate rainforest plants. Like that doesn't make sense. So every little piece along the way I've toiled and uh, just kind of uh, fun my vortex head around and um, at this point it's very relieving because I'm actually getting to work with plants again because for so long I was just in the communication uh, relationship building and and research phase and like doing trial runs with growing plants and stuff and different um, different soil types and pots but now um, this season we've been able to do a lot of cuttings of um, not just redwoods, but Pacific yew and madrone and goat uh, and uh, 
black cap raspberries and oh gosh there's so that I have thousands of little starts right now so I'm like oh my gosh what are they all I'm trying to remember every single one we have out there but there are many many species that we're propagating and then as soon as the cutting season is over we'll be doing seed collection and I'm much more um I'm much more in, interested in the seeds than I am in the cuttings in overall, but I am excited to, to work in all the different ways of propagating the plants. So yeah, it's a beautiful project. I can't wait till we start working with local landowners and communities to start putting these plants out and creating these little biodiversity enhancement test plots, these little seed, seed plots within bigger areas of forest that have been really damaged and lacking their biodiversity. And yeah, I'm, although I have wishes and dreams of what this could be, I'm also really giving into what it will be because the project has a life of its own and I'm not going to try to put the forest in a box so that I can um, tell the forest exactly what I wanted to do for, for what I think is best for it. I want to also be really gentle in my approach, knowing that I think the earth knows what's best and I just want to support the earth's immune system to take care of themselves uh, and not feel like I'm going to have some type of answer that's going to solve it all. But instead, just how do I be in relationship with what is and, and, and continue to give back to the forest in um, very, very thoughtful ways. So it's a huge project and I could go on for a long time, but I hope that gives you a gist of what's going on. Oh, wow. Does it ever? It's about so much more than, than, I mean, one to plant one million trees would be an enormous feat, but it's about so much more than that. I, I think if I understand you correctly, it's about um, developing, not developing, gathering the knowledge, I guess, you know, that's available from the traditional ways and also that's available through, through science about an alternative approach to um, reforestation that is much more uh, biodiverse and in keeping with with restoring the earth so not just about planting on the surface but actually about restoration but it sounds like the goal if I'm heard you correctly that the goal is to offer an alternative to um conventional industrial uh, planting techniques and to maybe go, hey, look, here's here's another way that you could do it and you'll get the trees in almost as fast and, you know, we'll be doing a much better service to the land. That would be amazing if the system was implemented by other folks. And, and I also don't want to call it like my system, like I'm creating a system. I feel like what I'm kind of doing is I'm learning from so many different people and different ways of doing. And then I'm like, I'm harvesting these different, I'm harvesting these different techniques from many people. And then I have my basket full of these techniques and then I go home and I work with them and I see what works for my space. And then I'd like to share that information open source and be like, Hey, this is what worked for me. These are the things that didn't work for me. Maybe y'all have a different Maybe it worked for you somewhere else, but these are the things I definitely do not want to do because they cause more harm. And I'm really trying to reduce harm in my methods, even though I know I will never be able to be purely harmless. That's not possible in this world at this time um, because fossil fuels will have to be used on some level, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, I'd like to really share and with people and community members that I work with, Every project will be different to an extent because land, the land speaks um, and the land really informs how we move through the process. So I think the large industrial scale projects, again, like why they go rise because they try to put these uh, very like linear and strict systems on every project. So like doesn't like it, it's like it could be here, it could be there, but because of wanting streamlined implementations for efficiency sake, meaning saving money and all that stuff, things, it's just like, you know, ABC, but it's like, well, maybe ABC isn't actually going to be helpful right here. So how do we be in deeper relationship with the communities and with the land and not just have a one size fits all system? And so it, it does, it is a totally different way of doing it. And you know, could major forestry practices pick up certain aspects of this work? 
potentially, you know, that would be amazing, even if they implemented one or two of pieces about being more holistic or not spraying their trees with poison or using fossil fuel um, fertilizers or spraying the ground with poison that gets into the watershed. Like I would love if the forest, bigger forest service systems did not do or logging, logging companies did not use those methods and that would be amazing. I'm not also, I'm not trying to convert those bigger entities into holistic ways of working as well. I think there are people within those agencies that are trying to do that on some level, and I'm very grateful for those people. I don't see myself as one of them, but I do think that it can be a ripple effect. Like, I think if we, as in the folks that are interested in holistic forestry, all start working together, and then we create our circle a little bigger, and then our circle becomes a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger, because there's more people, not because we get bigger individually but because more people are involved, then I think that could continue to bleed into industry and we could create different standards because this, because the way in which we're working with the forest becomes more commonplace and it's not so fringe. So I, I definitely think it could bleed into that. But um, yeah, I think it just will, will take more of us working in this way and making it something that is just normalized. Like, oh, that's just how we work with the land. It's just a normal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I really appreciate uh, the language that you use there and how you described it, that you, you don't see yourself as developing a system, but rather you're harvesting the knowledge and trying things out and working with the land and working with the community for site-specific solutions but that may have broader applications and you know this this the idea of of normalizing this and how do we normalize this well there's a whole bunch of ways you know I guess by first like researching and and actually putting things into practice but even in in having conversations about it and in starting to to recognize that what we call normal is 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 really pretty abnormal (laughs) And, and that we really need a we really need a better normal way of doing things, and so there's so much um, in sharing this sharing this knowledge and sharing the awareness. That's another big part of what you do. And so on that note, Diana, because I think we're almost out of time, but I would love for you just to share a little bit about, I want to make sure that I have your various kind of projects covered and where people can access them. And I think a lot of what you're connected to can be found on the For the Wild website, forthewild.world. Absolutely. Thank you for uh letting me have a moment to have people connect if they want to um, with For the Wild. So absolutely, forthewild.world is our website. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at For the Wild. If you want to reach out and email us and ask about joining a project or questions or what your community is going through, if we can help support you, you can email us at connect at forthewild.world. Um, and then the film, When Old Growth Ends, is on the website. Uh, I think there's a tab that says land-based commitments, and then there's a, a page that's called When Old Growth Ends. Also on our website, you'll find the podcast and our archive of the anthology of the Anthropocene, as we call it. So there's a lot to dive into, especially if you're quarantined. Just go for it. You can, yeah, it'll be, it'll... <laughs> It'll really take your mind to a lot of places. There's so much there um, and so many amazing thought leaders to, to listen to. Um, and so you can listen to the podcast on the website, but you can also find us on Spotify and iTunes and all the places you can listen to podcasts for the most part. Um, we also have a Patreon page for, with transcripts if you're somebody who likes to read interviews, which I know folks who are really studying sometimes like to do that. And yeah. Oh, you could also sign up for our newsletter on our website. So yeah, there's so many ways to be in touch with us. And if you do email us or write us a message through social media, we get back to everyone. So just know that uh, you will be reaching us and we're so glad to connect with the community. And we, you know, we're, we're doing this to be a part of the community. So we want to speak to you and reach out and talk and connect. So 
yeah, that's where you can find us. And there might be a few other places, but <laughs> if you use any of those other things, you'll come to us. Amazing. Ayanna, thank you so much for your time today and for everything that you're doing and um, for the inspiration that you are offering to so many people right now, I think, in this, in the opportunity of this time to pause and reflect and think about what is it that I really do want to do? What, I, what do I feel passionate about? What could I do? And how do I want to spend um, the rest of my days? So really, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. This has been a beautiful conversation and you are so caring and uh, perceptive and intuitive. And it's been really wonderful to be interviewed or be in conversation with you. It's been a, really a joy and a great part of my day. So thank you for all the time and care you put in to this conversation. My pleasure. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. Yeah. 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 And thank you for listening. 